Today's episode of Tampering is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think that Lakers tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score some last-minute tickets. Basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Oh, right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play when covering the ring. Trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that right? Everybody went off like I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast at The Athletic. I'm Sam Amick, NBA reporter at The Athletic. As always, here with my guy Joe Varden, fellow NBA writer. We are very, very, very excited today to bring in our newest teammate, a guy that I have known for a long, long time, uh, John Hollinger, previously of ESPN, previously of the Memphis Grizzlies front office, and, and a guy who is now under the athletic umbrella, been pumping out fantastic work. We've been trying to get him on for a couple of weeks here. John, what's going on, brother? How are you? I'm doing great, Sam. I'm so excited to be on the same team with you, and uh, thank, thank you guys for having me on the podcast. No, we appreciate it, Joe. I know you and I have talked, uh, you know, leading into this about – John and everything he's bringing. I mean, listen, we got this loaded roster at the athletic and and we end up shamelessly kind of pumping that every week when we talk about the league. Um, Here's my two cents on John and I'll throw it to you, Joe, to get your quick purview is, and I told Jade this, our, our super producer, I've told our editor, Sergio Gonzalez, this, my favorite part about John being on the team is that when he was at ESPN back in the day and he would, extremely critically analyze front offices all over the league and do it in the kind of way that a was pretty bold b was extremely smart and then c was you know most of the time kind of above repute in in terms of the logic and the way that that john is able to to take extremely complex topics and and write about them in a way that i think is is pretty easily understood and easy to read is that the one kind of misnomer the one thing that john people would throw your way is that well You've never done the job before. Well, then let's go ahead and do seven years in the Grizzlies front office, come back to the athletic, and then give, you know, that kind of perspective. It's just it's got layers to it that I love and that's been playing out in the coverage. But Joe, I know you were fired up to have him on too. What do you think, brother? I don't know if I'm that fired up to have him on. Jeez. <laughs> it's kinda of over the top. I'm excited. Here. Shut up, Joe. God damn My it. Goodness. Jeez. Like Fanboy 101 here. Um, John, right. welcome. Welcome. I I don't know. Have we even – I'm not sure if we've ever actually met face-to-face. So this is kind of like uh, – this is a this is a big moment for me. You know, I mean, your reputation, at least on this pod with Sam, certainly precedes you. So welcome uh, – well, welcome <laughs> welcome aboard, my friend. 
Thank you. Thank you. It's it's great to virtually meet you. <laughs> you know, um, you know, Sam kind of explained it, but when you are doing the reporting and you're and you are in the media in a certain industry or covering a certain industry and then you actually go to the other side, which is what you did. Um, and I actually did the same thing in politics. I spent nine months working on a mayoral campaign and in a uh, county commissioner's office and learned basically the dark arts, like how to bury the bodies. And when I came back to journalism after that, I uh, was a much better reporter because there was so much more that I knew and so much more to look for. Uh, but it, it's uh, it's just it's it's really good to have you and you know your wealth of wealth of experience and, and knowledge uh, certainly will benefit this program and athletic.com. Guys, let's do this. That, let's tease it with that, and we're going to get into John's story on the back end and, and definitely get that unique perspective on what this chapter has been like for you. But we uh, we do have a ton of action going on around the association. And, John, I know you and I texted about this a little bit. Uh, and because it's front and center and it's different, um, let's start. We're going to go through some of the different stories around the league. Sure. John Collins, the Hawks big man, getting suspended for 25 games for uh, for a drug test. Uh, and, it, and I should have pulled up the – I'll get the specifics in a moment here in terms of what he got nailed for. But you got the John Collins 25-game suspension. You have DeAndre Aiden also getting hit. Recently, uh, and this is something where I, I just think that it's a little bit like, you know, when we have to admit, you know, what we don't know, and none of us have our doctorates, and, and it's scientifically tough to figure out what each of these different, you know, negative tests means in terms of how should we look at these players that are getting dinged. But this uh, specific example with John, how did it hit you, and, and how should we see this? My initial reaction is similar to the Aiden situation. There's there's a lot we just don't know. We don't know how this was ingested. The reason substances like this uh, are illegal, obviously, is a lot of times it's not the substance themselves, but that they can can mask or that they can uh, accelerate the uh, the impact of other things that are very illegal. Uh, and so, you you just don't know how that ended up in their body. Um, and with and with that, it's tough to. It's tough to say anything beyond that they technically violated the agreement and thus are subject to a suspension. It's 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 hard to go really really deep on that and 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 talk about the player's specific uh, situation relative to that drug test that failed. So growth hormone releasing peptide two to get the specifics there, and then DeAndre Aiden was a diuretic. Um, you know, the context here that is worth getting into for you is that back in 2014, uh, when you were with Memphis, you had a situation that was somewhat similar with Nick Calathis. And and the theme with all three of these guys is that typically the player response immediately is that it was a misunderstanding. I didn't know uh, what was going into my body and that it was not intentional. It seems like I, I can't remember one guy who just flat out said, you know, well, I got caught, sorry, and took the suspension. Um, what should folks make of that trend? And, and do you see any parallels here to what you saw with Nick? Uh, just knowing what I know about Nick's situation, uh, it was a little different. Um, first of all, it was at the end of the season. It was right before the playoffs started. Uh, the, the suspension started in game one of the playoffs which was a little weird. And, you know, thank goodness we had claimed Baino Udri off waivers like two weeks before that or something, uh, because otherwise we would have gone into that series without a backup point guard. Uh, and, and instead, uh, 
your, your friend from Sacramento, Bano, played very well for us, and uh, we took Oklahoma City to seven games. But I'm, I'm uh, digressing here. <laughs> By the way, you say his name, and I still see that that lefty spin move through the lane. That's forever Oh, uh, the, lead, the leading pull-up yeah. jump. He's, yes. he's the master of that. The issue with uh, – with Nick, that that was like such a one-off though at the time. I mean, we've had three right in a row here because we had Wilson Chandler too right before the season. Right, and that makes right. me wonder if something has changed either in how they're doing the lab work or the testing or or I don't know. I mean, it could just be a coincidence too. But three after three, you start to wonder. I mean, this has been a very rare thing up until this summer, where you're talking about fewer than one a year for like the last decade or so. And now we get now we get into three in a matter of uh, weeks, basically. So uh, you wonder about the trend here, and are there more? Is three the end of it, or are are there you know are, are there going to be more? I think you're going to see uh, teams, health and medical staffs, really get careful about uh, monitoring what what players are taking in, and especially in the off season, because it seems like this is probably the result of something all three of them did in the off season rather than did with their current teams after they got to camp, just given the timing. I suppose it's possible to not know what you're putting into your body, but how probable is this that they just didn't know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, Oh, I feel like the laugh tells everything right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> that's You know, that's kind of the million dollar question, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that that's just they it. Don't know if a trainer just said, you know, a trainer that the guy in the working with in the off season or something said, Hey, take this and you know, it'll be good for you. My weightlifting buddies take it. And, and maybe the, you know, maybe the person who gave it to him didn't know that there was, I mean, there's a lot of illegal substances on that list. Like there's, there's a lot of names and a lot of names that aren't easily retained in memory, let's say. Um, and so you, you can see how that could happen by accident. Uh, at the same time, you know, you, <laughs> I, th- I think we're all a little, uh, what's, what's the word we're, we weren't born yesterday. Right. So we're all a little suspicious. Skeptical. Yes. So then the other thing is our regular seasons are just getting run down with this load management stuff and fans are paying money to go see these players and they're not out there. I mean, you know, Kawhi Leonard missed what 20 something games last year and he was healthy all year, just not playing. And then at the same time, we are now suspending these guys for taking drugs that just basically help you recover faster. So what do we want? I mean, do we want these guys out there playing uh, or, you know, should should more of them just be taking the load management route? Well, that that's an interesting debate that goes beyond basketball and gets into a lot of Olympic sports and baseball and whatnot has had this same debate like what? What should what should our position be on on steroids and items of that nature? That was something that everyone, I think, from the from the get go, everyone was suspicious about and felt like they should be illegal. Uh, and now I think people are asking more questions about, well, are there are there different situations where they should be allowed or different sports or, uh, you know, I think it's a debate that's going to continue and science is only going to accelerate the debate here as we, you know, 20 years from now, they're going to be all doing all kinds of funky things with chemicals in our bodies that we couldn't even imagine right now with professional athletes. And so this debate is only going to get, uh, deeper and more complex. Sure. 
Well, listen, John, let's switch gears. Um, you know, that, those 25 games for those two players, and then you said Wilson, too, you know, that's going to cost their squads. And, and selfishly, it messed up some of my plans. I'm going to see the Hawks soon, and, and that's a different Hawks team without John Collins. I'm going to see the Suns soon, and, you know, they're surviving really well with Aaron Baines filling that eight and roll, but, but certainly getting DeAndre back is going to be big. Um, what's funny is when we were going to have you on, we've got our little tampering group text where we try to figure out what to get into and the list of things where we said, Hey, let's get John on this, John on that, John on this. It kept getting very, very long. So I'm going to let you jump in the driver's seat here and just tell us in the early going here, basketball wise, what has jumped out to you the most. And and with this backdrop, uh, one of your many pieces that I enjoyed early on was when you essentially, again, without any guilt whatsoever for how critical you're being, just told the world what you thought of, all these different squads. You killed the Kings and the whole city of Sacramento was mad at you for a few days. And then you looked, you know, pretty, uh, there was some foreshadowing there with their 0-5 start. But uh, one of many storylines going on right now, what has shocked you the most in the early going here? That that de- the de- defense hasn't struck back yet, basically. We're still seeing three-point rates go up. We're still seeing more scoring. We're still seeing more tempo. We're still seeing even more extremes of small ball. Uh, the, I mean, the number of guys that I've seen play center in crunch time that I couldn't even imagine, you know, like Brandon Ingram at the five or Grant Williams or, you know, these like, teams just playing like six, five guys at center and thinking nothing of it. Uh, so the, the game continues to evolve and it keeps evolving in a more offensive direction. And you keep thinking at some point the pendulum's going to swing back and it still hasn't. Funny you mentioned that. I'm staring at a computer monitor as a shameless preview here. I'm, I'm writing something that has some X factors in the Western Conference, diving into the atrocious, ugly, awful Rockets defense that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that has just been one of many defensive squads out there that you know have not been very good. And, and I'm with you. I mean, the scoring seems, I haven't uh, drilled down on the numbers, but scoring is at an extremely high rate. And, you know, I mean, I don't know, Joe, you've been seeing some, some bad basketball too lately. What do you think, buddy? Oh, man, I don't know about bad basketball. I just came off the uh, Brandon Ingram career-high 40-pointer, and, and Kyrie Irving was right there with 39. Um, you know, I, I think John's right. I, I, we aren't seeing a lot of defense, and my entry point into that discussion is in over with Team USA and China – those guys, the one thing they did do was defend their asses off. And assistant coaches were joking with us that this is going to be problematic for them now because they're going to come to the States and there's going to be all kinds of film on them of these guys actually defending. And, of course, now, you know, n- nobody's nobody's doing it now. You know, I can't remember who it was that said in October, November, everybody plays hard. Um I don't. I, I don't know if that's true. I, I mean, do you think the Rockets are, are playing hard on both ends right now? I. I don't. I, I just watched their last two games. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> it's not uncommon this early uh, for veteran teams to kind of play their way into the season a little bit. Uh, you know, I think. I think a lot of the young teams or teams that have. Uh, maybe not had success together. Like Phoenix isn't a particularly young team anymore, but I think teams like that are definitely playing really hard. I think some of these teams that got to May and June last year and know in the back of their minds that October games don't really matter that much. I think it's hard for them to, uh, to get their motors revving all the way. And I think uh, we've seen that with, 
uh, with Houston. I think we've seen that with uh, with Denver a little bit. Um, I think we've seen that with a couple other teams too. Well, to to finish that point on the Rockets side, uh, I will be quoting an anonymous scout who says there is no accountability. They switch everything. Uh, and there's no sense of, okay, I'm going to fight through the screen and try to get back in, in front. No, they just switch. They stare at the ball. They get uh, beat back door so many times. James takes a bad shot. He jogs back. The two good defenders they have can't guard everybody. So, I mean, that's the Rockets landscape. It's not pretty. Um, but, John, how about if we go west and, and look at L.A., man? And I know Joe has written about this. Our Lakers beat writer Bill Oram has written about this. One guy who is defending at a, a fairly high level – is good old LBJ. LeBron James has, has been strong on that end. And as we talk here, um, I'm trying to pull up the advanced stats, the Lakers, you know, have been uh, have been good on that end. I can't get – they're tops in the league, 96.3 points allowed per 100 possessions. They are doing their thing off to a 5-1 and one start. Um, that surprise you at all? I'm a little surprised with how they are doing it. Yeah, I thought they'd play as a little more offensive team uh, than they have, but – Pretty pretty impressive start for for LA without a doubt. I'm excited. I'm going to be going out there on uh, on Sunday to watch them play uh, Toronto. So we'll see we'll see how they fare against uh, some some fairly good competition there. They've had I mean their schedule's been a little a little soft here in the early going. They've had, they've had a couple of difficult games, but they have they have Miami Friday, which will be interesting. Yeah, yeah, but. You know, I get I give them credit. I think they did a much better job this offseason of filling in the right players around. Uh, their core. If you look at, you know, bringing in a Danny Green, uh, getting a couple deep shooters, uh, guys like Troy Daniels, Quinn Cook, uh, who are inexpensive and they're role players that may not even play that much, but just having those floor spacing options that they didn't really have a year ago. Uh, you know, bringing in a solid veteran guy like Jared Dudley, who again hasn't played much, but that, you know, just in terms of a locker room and and keeping things on an even keel when you know after what happened last year, I think is important. And then bringing back uh, KCP who, uh, you know, offensively, he's kind of gone a little bit downhill from his Detroit days, but he was the one guy last year that I thought was really trying on defense, even in the second half of the season. And uh, I think he, he gives them some vitality on D off the bench. Palinka in general, Lakers GM, Rob Palinka. Uh, again, and this is through that unique filter of you having, you know, worked within the, you know, behind the curtain within the league, uh, like you did, and then now stepping out again and and having this kind of this platform, uh, Rob, and not just Rob, but the model of agent turned executive, and then in his particular case, you, you certainly you talked about one of the the most in terms of headlines, one of the toughest years an executive has had, I think, in quite some time, and and most of it, I, I think, with good reason, with the way they built the roster two summers ago, and then all the drama with Magic Johnson last year. Um, to whatever degree you feel like sharing, just what has your perspective been on on Rob and, and his Lakers tenure? Well, I mean, obviously that first year under Magic, yeah, it was a total mess. I mean, now it's now it's more his show, so you can probably evaluate him on his own, you know, a, a, a little more cleanly. Uh, they had a pretty good off season. Uh, Frank Vogel, you know, he had a pretty good track record as a defensive coach in Indiana. Uh, you know, it didn't go great for him in, in Orlando, but even then those teams, those teams weren't awful defensively. They just, they just didn't have a whole lot of talent. And so, um, you know, I think that, I think that hire is working out so far. Obviously there's still some questions people have, uh, everything for, uh, uh, Jason Kidd to, uh, come, come in with the knife when Frank has his back turned. So, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. And, uh, 
And, you know, when they the, – the issue the, – I mean, the Lakers were pretty good in the beginning of last year too, don't forget. And it was yeah, just when they – But when they hit some adversity, it just uh, – it was just a, a waterfall, right? They, they just couldn't manage it. And so it's going to be interesting to happen that first time they lose two or three in a row. Um, that, you know, that first time where they hit some speed bumps on the season. Because right, right now it's easy, right? And uh, – but – when that happens, how does this team manage it and get through it? Because that that was what killed them last year. They just couldn't handle adversity at all. Yeah, I mean, I think the one, I guess the one difference is just how much older this team is. I mean, they, they're they not all that familiar with each other. But at the same time, I mean, you're talking about way more bodies um, who have kind of been through it overall, right? And I think if you look now just with what's going on in New Orleans, the old Laker core or the old young Laker core is now there and they, they can't get out of their own way. And so I think maybe when the schedule gets harder, um, maybe that's something they can they can rely on. But, you know, John, I I, uh, I mean, I'm basically here. I mean, let's let's not, you know, kid ourselves. I, I, I've made it this far by getting the opportunity to cover LeBron. He took eight months off, longest he's ever taken off um, in his career. And then opening night. Uh, against the Clippers, which was a couple weeks ago now, he really didn't play well. And and <laughs> having been off that long and then watching him go out there and kind of do the, what he did that night, I was actually a little bit concerned. Like, are we really starting to see that slippage that people talk about? He's going to be uh, 35 here in, a, in another month or two. And um, since, though, he's been great, right? I mean, I think he's, you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure what his pace numbers are. We've talked a little bit how he is at least trying defensively, which is great. But he's, I think he's settling into that role a little bit of, of running the Laker offense and, and trying to strike that balance of, of taking over games and, and getting Anthony Davis involved. How, how do you think it's gone on the offensive side with those two? Yeah, I mean, certainly LeBron was brilliant in that Dallas game. Uh, I was... I wasn't sure how much they were going to use AD on the block because LeBron has always been so much more comfortable playing pick and roll. You know, when he had Chris Bosh as a teammate or Kevin Love as a teammate, they didn't really post up much at all, even though those guys are pretty good at it. And it seems like they've shifted, though, with AD, where they're really trying to, t- any in any half-court situation, they're trying to take advantage of AD, and he's almost option one, and then going back out to LeBron and let him hit him excuse me, letting him do his thing is kind of the second option. I think that also has a nice effect of taking some of the regular season heat off of LeBron and letting him uh, get through the year. Cause really one of the, one of the things when you get to his age with all the minutes he has on him, you're a little worried. What's he going to be in April, May, June, and you want to make sure he's at his best then. And one of the ways you do that is by continuing to play through AD and, and saving some of the most, strenuous moments on LeBron for maybe the postseason. Not only have we been already bouncing around today on the pod, but I've, I read your weekly notes and I, I was reading the, I was reading last week's in the taxi cab over the weekend going somewhere. I can't remember where. And so I, w- I don't know your process. I'm not sure our listeners do. So I think it'd be fascinating to just know how you digest all this basketball every week. Are you locked up in an office in your house? Like, how do you, how do you watch this this much basketball and you know also cut the grass? 
we uh, we we barely had any rain in Atlanta this year, so that that I didn't have to work as much about the grass, fortunately. No, I mean, I, you know, time shifting has been a lifesaver as, as far as that goes. Seriously, like I, I very rarely watch games live from A to Z unless I'm in the arena for it because. Um, you know, you can, you can zip through a game in a little bit over an hour if you're really good, uh, with, with the remote. And, uh, you know, that just uh, affords me an opportunity to see a lot more basketball. So, uh, and I guess that was, uh, you know, it was something I'd always done even at ESPN, but I had to refine those habits even further in the Grizzlies front office. Cause now you're trying to watch Europe and college too. Uh, so I, yeah, some, somehow I've developed the ability to mow down quite a few games in a, in a short amount of time. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's any secret to it. I mean, just, you know, I try to just get up early and block out time and make, make sure I, I see everyone I need to see. I will say, John, it's a little humbling when I see your tweets about how, you know, hey, I just took in these 16 games and I was feeling pretty good about like the three that I watched. You know, it's I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to keep up with you, brother, but but it's not easy. Um, I want to build off that. And, and, you know, since Joe gave me a hard time for how excited I was at the tip, I'm so sorry that I was being enthusiastic for our guest, Joe, you got to come in like Debbie Downer here. Jesus. But I, I am, and John knows this. I mean, it's all genuine. I was fired up when you came on staff and I really do think you're filling a lane that really nobody else in the industry is because of the fact that you, you hit the pause button from the media standpoint and you went and you got your hands dirty, you know, being part of a team and being part of transactions and trying to find edges and opportunities, uh, you know, to, to help your squad in any way possible and doing it in a small market that comes with just severe disadvantages. Uh, and so, you, you know, you did a lot of good work during that time. Take us through your story a little bit from there in terms of when you thought, uh, you know, that chapter was possibly going to end. There was obviously a shift in the front office uh, that you were initially a part of. And then, you know, what the thought process was and just in terms of getting back to media and the idea of taking everything you learned, you know, during that Grizzlies tenure and, and potentially applying it, to, you know, in a public sphere. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I guess I always thought when I went to the Grizzlies front office that going back to the media was going to be a possibility. I mean, this is jobs in pro sports aren't like Supreme Court appointments, right? Like the the, the life expectancy in a lot of them is pretty short. Um, so you just have unless to, you own the Knicks. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> you know, after 18 months, the two people I came in with, uh, Jason Levy and Stu Lash, were both let go, and I'm standing there kind of <laughs> wondering what happened and, and, uh, that, you know, thinking that that lightning bolt could have just as easily hit me and didn't. Sure. And, uh, and fortunately I was able to, uh, stay there for five more years after that. Um, but so that, you know, that was kind of the, the second phase then when, when, you know, Chris Wallace came in and that, and some things changed, but it was still, you know, pretty good and a lot of fun. And Chris was really good to me. Um, so no regrets there. And then, uh, I think a little later on, uh, just, it just became clear that I think there was, um, that, that it was harder to really get, get, uh, all on the same page as far as what should happen next. Uh, so the last, the last two years, I really started thinking a lot more about going back, uh, to the media side. Um, obviously the Grizzlies made some changes too. Um, and then just, you know, had some, uh, had some discussions this summer and, uh, you know, talked to a few different people 
heard heard good things about a place called the Athletics. So uh, you know, and the one thing led to another, and here I am. What about you know? I I wondered this too. Now that you are, I mean, for one, your volume has been at a high level, not only high in, in quality, but high in quantity since you jumped on board. And, and you've had a lot to say about a lot of different moves around the league. And what I wondered is, it's one thing for somebody like me or Joe, where you've always been on this side of the fence, where certainly front office people get you know upset at you on, on a fairly regular basis, and you hear feedback from people you cover, and that's part of the job. It's just the, the kind of the back and forth on that front. But when you have done the job like you have, and and you communication wise, I'm sure, you know you you find yourself um, interfacing with those folks on a, a much deeper level, and then now here you are back on the media side. Has there been like backlash? Is probably the wrong word, but but have you heard from people who you write about? Does is that kind of uh, being in that space? Um, you know, has has it been strange? What has that part been like? Honestly, I thought I would hear back more than I have. I, I I haven't really gotten, you know, a ton of blowback on things I've written. And I think part of it is um is to make sure that you're you're fair and impersonal when you're doing it. I mean, all the stuff we've learned in this business over the years. Um and that and that that gets you a long way. And then if you you know, if you disagree about the context or the opinion or whatever, that's one thing. But it's when when people get upset, and I found this on on the other side too. When people get really upset, is a, a if you have facts wrong, or b if you make it personal, right? Sure. Right. And so, um, you know, but if you're if you stay in that lane of being fact, you still have an opinion, obviously, but staying factual and honest, and and just making it about the the team and the move, and not about the people, and I, then I think you're not going to run into many problems. Right. Speaking of people, do they suck more on Twitter if you're in the media or if you're in the front office? Probably in the media because in the front office, like my feed was so lame for the last seven years and I posted so infrequently <laughs> that there wasn't a lot of opportunity for people to, you know, send me nasty grams, whereas, whereas now it's just can be in the reply to anything. So probably probably on the uh on the media side although it's gotten better i will say with kobe out of the league oh interesting yeah you never saw with the kobe stands oh yeah kobe stands or something else they're still there i'm surprised somebody who wrote about lebron because like i would write stuff about lebron for espn and not mention kobe or the lakers in one place in the entire story and like the first 20 comments would be like you know f you kobe's better like it was insane I will say though that the and maybe not to go down a a more sensitive road the the Me Too movement has changed the Kobe discussion too. There's now you can't write about Kobe without and with good reason. There's concerns there, but you write about Kobe and you you instantly get you know the the uh, the anti Kobe crowd as well. Um, I got to quote our our uh, our buddy Amin El Hassan who to capture your point on the social media thing, John, when you said that it's. You know, it's probably tougher now as Amin hit you. Uh, I think this was today when yes, uh, he, did. He, he said in, from ESPN, if the listeners don't know Amin, he said, I miss the days when you were working for a team and off social media. <laughs> yeah. So much love. So, so much, love. so much love. This was it, it. This was not out of the blue spontaneous. This was in response to a to a, an exchange of uh, 
silly cat jokes between uh, me and uh, Zach Lowe and Mina Kimes and one or two other people. So <laughs> it was <laughs> what Twitter's really for, right? Not for basketball news or anything. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You uh, you wrote something early on that I think is is worth revisiting because it was it was smart from the standpoint of uh, the idea that as we projected in the preseason, uh, who was going to be at the top, who's going to be at the bottom, that there's this elephant in the room that we often forget about, which is that the rosters are just not going to look, you know, even remote, remotely close to what they, they look like back then by the time the end of the season rolls around. And you had handicapped essentially which squads were best positioned to make moves uh, versus the ones that are extremely limited. Um, in that vein, do you feel like anything has developed even early on here in terms of uh, whether it's players who you – still expect to be on the move other guys who you think might have already shifted more into that zone and and you know that aspect that we need to monitor as we get closer to the trade deadline in february yeah i would say golden state's priorities have probably shifted a little bit a little bit a little bit yeah (laughs) maybe i think the thing we're going to see is like those minimum guys on golden state are all going to be in play at the trade deadline now uh, you know, Cauley Stein, Alec Burks, guys like that, or, or sooner, um, you know, if they got a good offer for Kevon Looney, would they have to look at that? Um, even though he signed beyond this season, I think those are things they're going to have to consider a lot more deeply. And then moving any one of those guys moves them enough away from the uh, hard cap that they can, you know, sign other players and take a look at them or change Damian Lee to a regular contract from a two way, which he's going to, that's going to be a, interesting story at a really low level i guess but you know you only have 45 days for the two-way damian lee's been one of their better players at some point they're going to have to convert that thing but they don't have enough room from the hard cap right now to be able to convert it really um i imagine they'll end up waving marquise chris to generate a little more space for that but it still gets really tight so that that's going to be a, an interesting thing to watch it's amazing watching the Warriors, and that was a hell of a win in, in uh, Portland. But you're talking about a five-time Western Conference defending champion, and they have two players on their roster now who were on the 19-win Cavs last year. And it was a—I I get why they had to do this, but it was a stunner to see them wave McKinney in, in favor of, of Marquise, who, as you said, is, is just probably not going to be there very long. Yeah, I think—you uh, know, I think— Playing the same team four times in preseason probably uh, it created an envi- it created an environment where Chris's weaknesses probably didn't get as exposed as much as they would have if they had played different kinds of teams doing different stuff, uh, especially in terms of defending pick and rolls and things like that. Uh, so the, the, anyway, that that was interesting. I mean, it's pretty two pretty uh, fungible players at the end of the day, but. Uh, just, just, just the way that that happened, uh, and the fact that they're not even using them now, (laughs) it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. So I don't know how this didn't come up yet, but all your time in Memphis, um, were you a Gus's guy or a rendezvous guy? Uh, I'm a vegetarian guy. Oh Oh my goodness. goodness. (laughs) This was totally wasted on me. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. I mean. So do you I assume you agree though that especially if when you first show up to town that the whole place smells like barbecue. Like the the whole downtown to me just that's what it smells like. Yeah, I will say if you go to uh uh Central, which which is the other uh kind of main barbecue place, okay. they they do a 
barbecued portobello that's really good. Shout out to uh, Grizzlies PR. Jason Wallace back in the day through to this day what I think is the best playoff media party I've ever been a part of. I think it was at Central, and they, they hosted. And mm-hmm. we, uh, since I am certainly not vegan, John, I, uh, I partook, and it was excellent. So one of these days, maybe if the Grizzlies can get back in the conference finals, we'll have a, a redo of that. But um, no, I mean, that's that's really good stuff. So we would – so my only trips to Memphis were covering the Cavs, and there was a lot of times where we would – you know, we'd only come through once a year. And sometimes it would be on the second night of a back-to-back, and so we'd be getting in the morning of or whatever. And for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, there there are – at least two places you have to eat, and I guess three if we're going to talk about Central's. Uh, but there's at least two you have to eat if you're a road rider coming through Memphis, and that is Gus's Chicken and then Rendezvous, which is a, a ribs joint. And so what we would do is Rendezvous is open for business for real at I think like 4 o'clock maybe, 4.30. But they open their doors at maybe 1 or 2, and they serve just ribs and just beans. And Jason Lloyd and Dave McMenamin and I would go in there and we'd get full racks of ribs and just drown them in sauce. And those guys would eat beans. I don't like beans. So we would eat these full racks of ribs, sleep it off for two or three hours, and then we'd go to the arena. And the calves every year would buy this giant tray of Gus's chicken and would hand it out to you know Fox Sports Ohio. And we would all get a piece. So you know it's basically like a 12-hour experience of Pure gluttony. I don't know that we ever gave away our food to the media like well, that. actually, it, uh, the road food. Yeah, you mean like the, like where the buffet where the players have food and stuff, and they would like give you stuff from that. So, so this is uh, first of all, I messed that up. It's it wasn't the Cavs' expense; it was actually Fox Sports Ohio's expense. The uh, the producers. So what they would do is they'd get a giant tray of chicken and they'd bring it into the media dining. And then the Cavs, <laughs> like, would come in and take some. So, like, certainly all the Cavs PR guys would take it for sure. And then maybe some of the end of the bench guys would come in and get a piece. And there would still be half a tray left by the time we showed up with uh, barbecue stains on our shirts. And uh, and we'd get a piece or two. And, you know, it's – I mean, so that's that's the thing. that Between that and Beale Street after the game, that, you know, it was, uh, it was a gut buster for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a no, de- definitely a dangerous place from a caloric standpoint. Uh, <laughs> you know, Me- Memphis, New Orleans, you know, that that whole trip. Yeah. That's right. But great word, caloric. But good good running though on the uh on the Mississippi. That's a great. So, a great I would go running there in the morning all the time. Um cuz I, I lived right near there and I would just I would that that was my favorite thing to do in Memphis. Uh was You'd get get up in the morning. There's a trail on the bluff right above the river, or you can go down to the park and be like right next to the river. Either way, um, but that that was always something I really enjoyed. Good stuff, John. Listen, we enjoyed this. Uh, perfect segue there. Thank you for doing it. And uh, again, you know, Joe wasn't excited to have you on, but thank you for joining me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank, thank, thank you, Sam. And uh, we appreciate you, brother. And Keep Joe up the good too, work. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Pretending like the problem isn't there doesn't solve anything. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. 
The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. And if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash tampering and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash tampering. That's T-A-M-P-E-R-I-N-G to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash tampering for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash tampering. All right, Joe, good stuff with John. Uh, and, and kidding aside, we were both fired up to have him on board. Uh, before we wrap here, we wanted to hit the rewind button, and, and you and I have been getting into some interesting stuff since we last talked uh, last week. You were back east, and you have been a traveling man quite a bit this preseason and early regular season. Uh, I have as well. I was in Houston. I was in L.A. Um, you know, we have somehow both – been checking the Kings box. You had an interesting look at their situation and then a good conversation with uh, Brandon Ingram, the Pelican star, and how he ran into Luke Walton at a hotel in New York, his old Lakers coach. Um, you know, from this past week, in terms of your stories, what you've been getting into, what uh, what jumps out at you? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it goes back to uh, Friday night in, in Brooklyn, watching the Nets take down the Rockets. Um, I had a chance to catch up with Kyrie Irving, uh, we go all the way back to 2014, um, our first year together in in Cleveland when I when I joined the beat there. And um, I, the thing that I just noticed with him is, and and this is what we talked about, what I wrote about, is just that he at least recognizes what went wrong in Boston. Um, there were a, a, you know myriad issues, and probably one of the key ones is that he could not stop talking about how. It was his job to lead. Like he just couldn't st- – he, he couldn't shut up about it. And that led to so many problems, um, you know, just <laughs> – like just takes you down so many different avenues. And this year, so far, he's just playing and he's playing better, scoring more certainly, but I think probably playing better in a, in a stretch of six games than he, than he ever has, certainly in any regular season. And so that was the first thing, but just kind of watching the, the Nets, kind of how they fit – um, they're without Kevin Durant all year. They need Kyrie to score, but they also need Karis LeVert to to get back to where he was before his injury last year. They actually have, I think, like eight new players, which is something I didn't I didn't even realize until I got there. And then you have the Rockets, who you spent a bunch of time with. I saw him on opening night, and then I saw him again in New York. And I I like their team. They're a veteran team. I, talking to some league insiders some league executives over the weekend there's some feeling that maybe the the rockets are fatally flawed when you get to a uh, a deep playoff situation you look at the way they defend which i don't know i i i want to see what happens in may before i i declare anybody fatally flawed i mean there's so much that can happen between now and then um Although I will say to to build off that, I mentioned that scout earlier. Yeah. One of the other quotes that that again I'll be using this, but that, that I hadn't mentioned, like a declarative statement from this scout that said they are not going to win in the playoffs. So I think that that viewpoint is out there, and it's it's definitely all based on the defensive concerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I just I mean, 
John said it. They're not playing very hard. I mean, they're it's a way veteran team. They've been to what the conference, uh, at least the conference semis for the last however many years. James Harden's the two-time defending and uh, scoring champ, and there's Ru- Russ is there. So I don't, I don't know. I I know that uh, going to New York, followed by Miami, those are scheduled losses, especially back to back, especially in early November, and so I'm not surprised by what happened there. No, not at all. Well, on my end, I mean, you know, we mentioned the, the Kings thing earlier. It was interesting to see them. They go from, you know, 0-5, so I decided to, to get out of my home office, drive up the road, see if Luke will give me a few minutes. Pretty interesting chat with him about all of their problems. He took a little flack from the fans because he had highlighted – the rigors of the preseason India trip that we went on together and how, you know, they essentially, he didn't put it this way, but the headline was, I mean, they've been out of shape and it wasn't necessarily, um, I mean, when you have a coaching change, you're going to come in and be behind the eight ball anyway, because you're just getting to know your guys. And then when your owner is of Indian descent and ends up getting, you know, that kind of assignment to take your team to India for the first time in league history, then you have to do that. But next thing you know, you're flying 40 hours round trip over the course of six days and and yada, yada. They got off to an atrocious start, but leave it to uh, Mr. Dolan's next to make somebody, you know, another team feel better. They route them in New York, uh, get back to two and five. We'll see if they, they pull out from there. But um, a lot of teams early on with some warning signs, like you mentioned the Nets. I mean, Kyrie, playing at an MVP level offensively. They have the 19th uh, ranking in defensive rating so far this year. That end of the floor has not been pretty. Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, you know, is is down from last year. The second unit seems to, they need some time to iron things out. So it's that feeling out period, you know, and not to jump around too much, but we mentioned the Warriors earlier. I mean, true story, Joe, yesterday, I make the drive down to San Francisco to go see the Chase Center for the first time. I get Damian Lillard for a story that that I you know I wanted to get him. I get what I need at shoot around in the morning, and and admittedly I, I in hindsight feel kind of bad about this. I said to Damian, I said, hey, don't take it personal, and he's always been you know a nice guy and accommodating guy and easy to work with. I said I'm I think I'm going to bounce after shoot around, and this is a long drive back to where I live, and considering you guys are going to run roughshod over this, you know, emaciated Warriors team. I'm not sure what I'm sticking around for and little did I know that, you know, the 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 G League Warriors would actually get the W over the Blazers. So, uh, crazy times in the West and and uh, you know, I'm dying to see kind of how it turns out. Can I tell you something? Tell me. So, probably the nanosecond that you were sitting down with Luke, I was emailing the Kings to ask them for time with him. Now, the way this works is, you know, when we, like Sam or I've actually Michelle hacked or, your phone. Let me just be honest. I hacked your phone, and when I saw that email, I was like, well, hell no. So, I'm getting right. Lou first. But, but here's – all right. So whether it's Sam or me or, or Michael Lee or Shams or whoever, um, when you have our job and you're traveling, you, you know, you're, you're traveling to these places probably for a bigger story, which is um, – I have a couple coming down the, the pike in New York, which is why I was really there. But – we're there for four or five days, and they want us to also take a look at some smaller stories, like just to, to kind of pick up. And, and so I was looking at Sunday in New York. Uh, it would be the middle of my trip, Kings, Knicks, and the Knicks access is 
by far the worst in the NBA. They make it impossible to uh, develop any kind of rapport with their players or their coach. That's the way they want it. Um, so it, I'd be wasting my time to try to go to Madison Square Garden and, and do the work with the Knicks. And so I was looking at the Kings. And I know Luke a little bit uh, from from my time spent covering the Lakers. And I was thinking, well, hell, well, why don't we do something fun with him? And we'll say, all right, let's do a... 10 things like or X things are different for you since you like since moving to Sacramento and like what are they they could they could be funny they could be serious like coaching LeBron not coaching LeBron whatever and the Kings who I don't really know until I mean I, I met them after the fact but they they just shot me down like out of hand and I just was like geez that's that's not very nice how about at least a little consideration and little did I know that while I'm asking for this you are literally sitting down with Luke I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not it at all. It's just funny. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for yeah, sure. You know, absolutely. No, but I mean, it it's, out. it's uh, it did. It worked out. Um, funny side story, and I think I'm safe sharing this. There's, there's been a statute of limitations that this is the the fun part of our job is when some stories get old enough, you can then share them on pods. Um, when we were Luke and I were talking about the India trip. Uh, early on in the preseason, and and I essentially was asking him, "Did you hear that I'm joining you?" And to which he said, "Oh yeah, I did hear that through the grapevine." And I was being a smart ass, and I said, "You're not going to try to get me kicked off the plane, are you?" Because I was on the team plane, which is not a normal occurrence. To which the former Lakers coach said, "No, man, I learned last year that that uh, when I tried to have Rich Paul not be on our plane, that I don't have that kind of juice." <laughs> <laughs> and there's the aggregation, folks. There it is. <laughs> Minute number 58 uh, of our pod right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, brother. That's a good place to end it. Um, good stuff with John. Thank you again to him for coming on, and we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>